My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to episode three of season three, which is going out on New Year's Eve. And it's appropriate that today's guest is Joanna Penn, who loves New Year and new beginnings. If you listen to Joanna's podcast, The Creative Pen, with a double N, she always uses this time of year as an opportunity to look back and review and look forward and dream and plan big. For me personally, and for the 21st Century Creative, this has been quite a year. I've produced two seasons of the show, which is one more than I did in 2017, so it feels like 2018 has been the year the podcast has started to get into its stride. Season one was pretty overwhelming in terms of the learning curve and the sheer amount of work involved, but now I've got systems in place and a great team to help me. So more and more, I can focus on the content of the show, on the ideas I want to put across and the questions I want to ask my guests. So I do hope I'm getting better at all of that and making the best show I can for you. I'd like to thank you for listening, for all your encouraging feedback, for your reviews, and also for helping to spread the word about the show. It really means the world each time I get a message from a listener or I read a review and I hear someone say that the show's helping them and giving them an extra spark of inspiration or a little nudge of motivation to keep going when things get tough. I also want to thank the rest of the team who helped me produce the show. Firstly, Javier Whaler and Alejandro Lovera at Breaking Waves Agency. Javier created all the music for the show, and the Breaking Waves team produce every episode, so it sounds great for you. I also want to thank Irene Hoffman, who created the show's identity, the logo with the pulsating circles, and she also did a terrific job of designing the cover for the companion book of the podcast, 21 Insights for 21st Century Creatives. And By the way, you can download the book for free at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash 21insights. Finally, I'd like to thank the newest member of the team, Alexandra Amor, who has been editing and formatting the transcripts of the interviews. She's done a beautiful job, and if you want to read transcripts for any of the interviews in Season 3, just go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm and click the interview title. Okay, let's get going with this week's show. And today I'm going to start talking about the question of discipline, which is often front of mind when people are making New Year's resolutions. Will I have the discipline to follow through on my resolution? Well, maybe I can give you a different way of looking at this.
People sometimes say to me, you must be so disciplined to sit down and write every day. But it's not discipline. It's desire. To me, discipline sounds like an employee's word. It suggests that work is something you have to do, that is imposed from the outside and for someone else's benefit, something you naturally resist and would rather avoid. If that's how you see your work, and if there's no one standing over you to make you do it, then of course you're going to need plenty of discipline to make yourself do it. But is that really how you see your creative work? Surely it's something you want to do. In which case, why not just tap into your desire to do it? This is what I do every morning. My writing routine isn't something I have to do or that I struggle to stick to. It's how I get to do what I want to do. The rest of the day, I have responsibilities and commitments to my family, to my clients, to all the bills I have to pay. But those hours in the morning are precious to me. They are my time. No, it's not always easy. I have to deal with distractions and interruptions, just like any other creator. But desire is the fuel that keeps me going. Desire to make a new poem, or to write a new book, or to get my ideas across to you in this podcast. As long as you tell yourself you need discipline to do your creative work, you're putting an unnecessary barrier between yourself and your heart's desire. Forget discipline. Focus on desire. If you're enjoying the 21st Century Creative, you may like to know there is more to this podcast than meets the ear. To help you succeed in your creative career or business, I've created an in-depth program, the 21st Century Creative Foundation Course. It covers the personal and professional skills you'll need to succeed as a creative professional in the 21st century. In other words, the stuff they probably didn't teach you at art school, on your creative writing masters, or wherever else you learned your craft. Things like how to manage your time, how to communicate your ideas, how to handle difficult conversations, how to close a sale, how to deal with money how to grow your network, and how to attract an audience for your work. Altogether, there are 26 lessons in the course, full of practical advice, plus a worksheet for each one to help you put the ideas into practice. And I'm giving you the entire course for free. In case you can't quite believe your ears, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course and see for yourself. When you get there, you can sign up with just an email address and you'll get your first lesson right away. By the way, the course has already been taken by over 11,000 students. And on the sign-up page, you'll see lots of testimonials from other creatives whose lives and careers have been changed by the course. You can join them right now for free by going to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course.
My guest today is a New York Times and USA Today best-selling thriller author under the name J.F. Penn. Meanwhile, as Joanna Penn, she's an expert on writing, publishing, and marketing books, giving advice to authors via her non-fiction books, her e-learning courses, and her popular podcast, The Creative Pen. Altogether, she's written 28 books and sold over half a million copies in 84 countries and five languages. She's been nominated for the prestigious International Thriller Writers Awards, and this year she was awarded Publishing Commentator of the Year by Digital Book World. Joanna was one of my very first guests in season one of the 21st Century Creative, where she came on and talked about the successful creative mindset. And that has been one of the most popular and enthusiastically received episodes of the show. So when she released a new book, The Healthy Writer, I told her she really had to come back and complete the mind-body connection. And as soon as I read through the table of contents of The Healthy Writer, I started getting flashbacks to some of the health and fitness problems I've encountered as a result of spending too much time sitting in front of a computer in pursuit of my creative ambitions. As I said right at the start of season one, the 21st century is the best of times and the worst of times for creators. The technology that allows us to create amazing opportunities for ourselves can have a very big downside for our health if we're not careful. And it's typical of Joanna that not only has she made big changes in her own life in order to improve her health, but she then teamed up with a medical doctor, Dr. Ewan Lawson, and the two of them have written a very practical and useful guide to taking care of yourself while you're getting your creative work done. The book's called The Healthy Writer, but as we say in the interview, just about all the problems and solutions in the book apply to other types of creative not just writers. So, if you've ever suffered aches and pains from too much time at the computer or in the studio, and if you want to be healthy and happy, as well as creatively successful, then listen to Joanna's advice on how to be a healthy creative. Joanna, The word healthy and the word creative probably are not words that we would naturally associate together. Why do you think that is? (laughs) Oh, that's such a deep question, Mark. (laughs) And I I think there's a few things. There seem, you know, there are myths about creative people. You know, we've heard of the poor author in the garret or the poor painter Mm -hmm. in the garret. So that kind of um, uh, wealth poverty side also kind of um, spills into a health poverty, I think, in that people think, oh, you know, to be a, a, you know, you've got to be hunched over your desk as a writer or spending hours and hours and long nights of the soul, uh, you know, torturing yourself. The tortured artist, I think, is another myth Mm -hmm. that is unnecessary. And, you know, things like um, really bad stuff like drug addiction, alcohol addiction. I mean, we've seen and and almost the romantic myth of the artist who commits suicide 
if we're going to talk about mental health, you know, we've got, and you're a poet. I mean, you know, <laughs> Sylvia yeah, Plath yeah. being one of the most famous ones. But I think what is so important for, I mean, we, you, you and I are both positive people. We live in this amazing creative world, the 21st century creative world, where we can be a healthy creative and we can create stuff and we don't have to be tortured. I mean, yeah, we work hard. We go deep into ourselves, but that doesn't mean we need to have a wreck of a body and we can look after our mental health wherever we are uh, on those spectrums. Yeah, because, I mean, let's face it, the work is there's, there's enough suffering in doing the work itself without loading on additional stuff. <laughs> <Not> loading on more. <laughs> well, and, and I think it's really, it's really important to separate the, I, see, I, I don't really like the word suffering. I think, you know, as we both know Stephen Pressfield and that, you know, what he talks about in The War of Art and the fact that the, you know, you're entitled to your labor, not the fruits of your labor, um, as said by Krishna, I think in the Bhagavad Gita or something like that. Yeah. We are entitled to our work and our mm -hmm. work, the creative work, is um you know is a, is a struggle but the the side of us where we that struggle is a lifelong struggle to create the best work we want to create in the world which is kind of the point of life um that doesn't need to go hand in hand with completely wrecking our bodies so we die early <laughs> yeah that's optional right? yeah exactly <laughs> Okay. And one small issue, your book is called The Healthy Writer. And as we did with your book on the successful writer mindset, I've asked you to come and talk about it with a, a wider focus than just writers. So we're, we're talking today, we've, we've subtly retitled your book, The Healthy Creative. Um, <laughs> I think, am I right in saying that I think most of the conditions and issues faced in here are, are pretty common across different creative professions? Yes. And to be honest, I think they're probably common across most people, <laughs> you know, whether you work in an office <laughs> right. or um, especially sedentary work. Um, and even if you're a visual artist, um, a lot of that work is sedentary. I mean, even a photographer who you might think is up and down and out wandering around, you know, photographers now spend so much time at computers. So I would say, you know, if anyone who spends time at computers is going to probably have a lot of these different things, but the modern the world is, you know, kind of sets us up for many of these, these issues. So yes, the healthy creative is completely awesome. Great. And one thing I love about the book is the way you, you started, obviously, we've talked about the myth of the unhealthy writer, the unhealthy creative, but I love the fact that you actually start with the book with seven reasons why writing, aka creating, is great for your health. So maybe you could kick us off on a positive note by pulling out one or two of those. Yeah, of course. And I think this is so important because if you just read the sort of list of, of things that can happen to your bad things, to your health, you, you wouldn't carry on, right? But um, <laughs> I think we have to start with saying everyone listening to this show and you and I, we are going to create regardless. So even if it does destroy our bodies, we probably will carry on um, despite that. So the, the positive side, um, obviously the point of your life may be to create, so that's really important. <laughs> but in terms of... Um, Creation is therapy in itself. So we get, you know, we might talk about some of the mental health issues, yeah. um, but writing is also therapy. And I share, like, uh, when I um, got divorced, uh, I wrote, I wrote about six journals, I think that year, five or six journals. And in that year of writing, and whether it's painting, whatever you do, um, I 
healed myself from an experience that had left me broken. And, you know, everything I put onto the page, all my self-destructive feelings, and I, I did, you know, have self-harm feelings and all the things that I wanted to get out, I got it out in my writing. So writing and creative work is therapy and can help you process the world. So, um, you know, in terms of I love going to look at art galleries and you can see in painting. So recently I went, you know, saw Guernica um, in Spain. I mean, just that that painting itself can tell us so much about, you know, the, the world and can help us process situations. So those are some of the things also helping other people. I think we create to help ourselves to figure out what we think about things, but also by putting our work out there, we help other people um, or bring pleasure to people. So looking outwards away from yourself can also make you more optimistic. And then I should also say the healthy writer, um, the healthy creative is um, the book is co-written by a medical doctor, Dr. Ewan Lawson. So um, the book is full of medical studies that um, actually back up the fact that writing is good for your health. Uh, if you want to sleep better, if you want to, um, you know, there are even things about healing that you can potentially heal faster if you write, if you create. So there are lots of reasons why writing is so fantastic. And of course, you're a coach and writing mm -hmm. helps people achieve their goals. Um, I, I'm I, uh, pretty sure you tell people to write down <laughs> what they want to achieve. Sure. And sure. that's, you know, that is the type of thing that can help us. Uh, achieve stuff. So there are so many positive aspects of creation. So it's not all bad news. Definitely not. <laughs> okay, but we've, we've looked at the myths, we've looked at the good news. I think maybe it's now time to roll up our sleeves and put on our surgical gloves and have a look at the other side of the coin. So I love the way you've divided the book into two parts. First part is the unhealthy writer, and the second part obviously is the healthy writer. And I must admit, actually, reading through the the list of contents for the unhealthy writer i was i was having flashbacks <laughs> back neck and shoulder pain rsi repetitive strain injury sedentary life and inactivity sleep problems insomnia eye strain headaches i mean there's an awful lot of this that i could relate to and i almost kind of forgotten about and i know you did a a survey before you wrote the book where you were asking your audience about what are the most common health issues you're facing in, in relation to your profession. What, what are some of the most common things that came out of that? Well, it was so interesting. So basically, uh, Dr. Ewan and I first did our own brainstorming session of all the things we thought would be an issue. Uh, and that was based on our own issues. Interestingly enough, medical doctors are people who suffer from all these things too, <laughs> because so often they're sitting in a chair for hours and then writing stuff. Um, right, so. Right. So we had, you know, we had a list and we had put them in our own order of what we thought it would be. And then I did a survey to my audience at thecreativepen.com and over 1,100 people replied. Now, I was pretty stunned by the response in general because, you know, this is, th th that's a decent number. And uh, unsurprisingly, a lot of the things that you and I suffer um, came up. Uh, so stress and anxiety. And what we did in the book is we actually put them into the order in which they came out. So um, the, oh, the right. most okay. common are, are kind of near the beginning. So it was really interesting around stress, anxiety and burnout, because this is something that you almost don't expect from creatives. You know, there's this, this role, I guess, of the creative 
hobby let's you know uh, if a, uh, if you write for your hobby or paint for your hobby maybe that's a relaxing uh, therapeutic thing all the time but when you you know we're talking most of people listening might be professional creatives or uh, people who have made their creative work a much more central part of their life and it's so interesting so stress and anxiety and burnout around maybe doing too much um, you know doing that type of thing and we can get into some more detail but um, loneliness, I was quite shocked by how many people felt lonely. Um, depression, uh, I mean, headaches, eye pain, back pain, weight gain, anxiety. These are all um, very common things. But what I think is amazing, and we talked about this when we did the mindset uh, discussion, but so often we think we are alone in what we're going through we think oh I must be you know oh this back pain or it's just part of the way it goes and no one else is suffering from exactly this or or on the other side oh everyone is so it must be normal but what's so interesting is we do have so much in common and I found particularly around the mental health stuff the more we talk about this the more we kind of normalize the aspects of physical and mental health around the creative process, the more we can actually help each other because we realise it's a common experience. Yeah, I mean, that's actually put in mind. I started off, originally I was a psychotherapist and the way I got started off as a creative coach was I would get creatives in my consulting room with stress, anxiety, burnout, you know, stage nerves, writer's block, the sheer intensity of a lot of what creative people do. and. You know, these days, Seth Godin talks about emotional labor, which I guess is a pretty good description of a lot of what we do as creatives. And it's maybe a bit of a surprise to discover that, you know, if that's what you're working with, then that, that's what you've got to learn to develop in yourself is, is more emotional intelligence and resilience and so on. Yeah. And I think also the physical side is really interesting. And I recognize the process of writing this book was really interesting because I recognize that I spend so much time in my head. uh, And I think this is probably true of most creative work. We're in our heads all the time and we almost forget that there's a body attached. (laughs) So we, we treat our brains incredibly well in terms of we're always feeding our brains you know maybe we're um reading a lot or we're watching films or we're you know going to um you know looking at uh photographs or we're doing the various things that put stuff into our brains and then we're writing we're we're creating we're doing the things we do but we forget that there's like a body attached (laughs) and and, uh, you know we take we we ignore the pain in our back we ignore the headaches we just take more painkillers you know I used to eat painkillers like candy I mean really I used to take painkillers every day and these weren't prescription painkillers but as we know with many of the studies coming out of America particularly um, you know painkillers are something everybody does (laughs) Um, and it shouldn't have to be that way so as we're going through this it's a lot about being mindful not just about the work you're creating, but also what's going on in your physical and mental life. Um, And so often, just coming back to the stressing, so often we think, oh, I I need to achieve this by then. So all my time must be spent on that. So if I have a spare hour, then that hour must be spent on actually creating the work as opposed to looking after my physical body. And so we prioritise the creation stuff and sometimes completely write off the other physical um, self. And so I think that would be one first thing, and I was definitely guilty of it, is that thinking you're just a head wandering around the world, <laughs> whereas you well, actually have this body as well. I mean, I used to be the world's worst at this. At university, I got myself so stressed out 
that my eyesight basically shut down. Every time I went to try and read a book for my exams, I would just get the most horrific eye strain and, and headaches and so on. And I sat down with a very wise doctor and he said, look, he said, you're just, your body isn't designed to work all day, every day. And he ordered me to take my evenings off, <laughs> which to me felt just, you know, terrifying because I was missing out on all that quote unquote study time. But actually it's one of the best bits of advice I ever have, you know, and since then I've pretty well, just by default, I take evenings and weekends off and I've noticed a big benefit creatively, either because I'm fresh, or, you know, I'm not driving myself into an early grave. Or, you know, I've just had some time off to have a life and take care of myself. And one of the ways I used to get stuck was to say, well, I haven't got time to exercise, but now I know that's not true. I mean, I can write maybe three or four hours a day and then that's it. I'm done for the day as a writer. And it's the same as a coach. I'll only do two coaching conversations a day and then that's it. I'm all coached out. And so there's always time for, you know, half an hour of exercise here or there. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a big revelation for a lot of creatives I've worked with that time spent taking care of yourself isn't necessarily time taken away from your creative work. Yeah. And it's interesting because you said by default, I have my evenings and weekends off, but it's not by default at all. It's called getting organized and reprioritizing. And so right. this, this is another big tip for people, you know, those people who are listening and saying, well, I don't have time, actually. Um, maybe you have a day job, which is making the money, and then you have creative work that you want to achieve. And then, of course, there's real life, like your family and, you know, all this. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> yeah, exactly, real life. And then there's the self-care. And um, you mentioned exercise there. Um, actually, I'm going to come back to that. I want to just keep on the getting organized because this is the, the key. And um, I know you've talked about this. And this is, it's like a productivity thing but it's also a life management thing is actually to organize your calendar so you can take that time off so you can um you know ha have space not just for you know in quotation marks exercise but for actually rest and rest and sleep this is one of the funniest things as well is that um i said to dr ewan look i just you know i just want to know what are the supplements what are the you know new tropics that we can take so that we can hack this you know i want to i want a book that has like <laughs> you know productivity hacking book so we can go here you go now you can create all the time yeah. and what was so hilarious is what um we actually had to rejig the healthy writer section the part two because it really was about sleep and what you eat and how you move and i wanted and circling back on that exercise thing i completely reframed exercise as movement so this is another tip instead of thinking diet and exercise which are punishing words mm -hmm. um think food and movement and if you think movement instead of exercise it becomes more about um pleasure and enjoyment yeah. and you know actually stretching not because you have to because your timer went off but because your body feels better when you do this mm -hmm. or going out for a walk because your body feels better and therefore your brain feels better and actually understanding that the best brain hack there is <laughs> and all these all this scientific evidence is to sleep more, to move more, to eat food that makes your body work well. Those things are the best hacks. I'm just experimenting in my head. If, if I say to myself, I need to exercise, it, it doesn't feel like something I want to do. But if I say, I need to move, mm. you know, I'm, I'm, I, it feels like that's coming from inside and I want to go and do it. Yeah, well, I want to move, not just that I need to move. I want to move. Yeah. Because movement actually makes me 
feel good. And this is the thing. It's almost, you know, I, I, again, this might come back to the myth of the creative. We, we have quite a punishing myth too, don't we? This kind of, you must have uh-huh. discipline. You must, you know, the, a yeah. lot of Marshall, even Stephen Pressfield, who interestingly, I interviewed him recently about this and kind of said, you have a real Marshall edge to your work. <laughs> I mean, do we all have to yeah. be at war? <laughs> <laughs> Does it have to be the war of art? Can't it be yeah. enjoyment? You know, so the, and I think I've been since I've been on this kind of journey around body health and mental health. I've been doing yoga, and I've been doing yoga two years now. And uh, you know, I've really changed my attitude around a lot of these things because of my experience. I can actually feel now when my body needs to move, and when I do yeah. move, it feels good. So uh, another thing to say to people: if you're listening and you're you're maybe you're angry right now at what we're talking about because I was sure angry when I started researching all this I was I was I don't want to do this this will you know impact what I'm doing um but actually when you start getting into this this can just be such a positive life-affirming step really yeah I mean maybe jumping ahead a little what one of the changes I made was around you know not sitting so much and I got a a sit-stand desk and I don't use any timers, but what I do is I sit until I'm aware that I want to stand up and I can actually feel my body's fidgeting and wanting to stand up. And I realized I've been ignoring that feeling for years and years and years because, you know, the head on the top of the shoulders wanted to do a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And then conversely, I'll stand until I feel, actually, I really feel I want to sit down now. And I think that's a really wise point you're making about if you can really tune into Actually, you are your body. And what do, you, what do you want as your body? If you go with that, it's much easier and more pleasurable and more rewarding than saying, well, this is what you've got to do because otherwise we're not going to achieve our goals this week or your, you know, your health goals on top of your, your writing or creating goals. Mm, and I would also like we we haven't mentioned this before, but this is not a weight loss book. This has nothing to do with weight loss. I mean, we do talk yeah. about the potential weight gain that goes into a full time creative sedentary career. <laughs> but I think, yeah, like we're talking about, this is health and feeling better. And if your body feels better, your mind works better. So that's really important. So let's talk about ergonomics because right now I'm also standing up. So we're doing this mm-hmm. interview, and I think both of us, whenever we speak on the phone I, yeah, I always stand up for podcasting yeah, yeah me too so um and I have just a topper so a topper thing that goes on the top of my desk I I, I do have a sit-stand desk but the motor stopped working <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so you can get these toppers. So if you're listening, you can put that on. What I also do, I have a Swiss ball. So when I sit, I use a Swiss ball, which also means I can do back bends. And just circling back on yoga, one of the miracle things for back pain is the spinal twist, which sounds like torture, but actually it's very pleasurable. You can just look it up on the internet. Um, but it's, you know, the, the I can do back bends over my Swiss ball. But the other thing I've started doing, because I write in cafes, is I now take a, um, a laptop stand it's a folding one it's called a neck stand um Mm -hmm. any x stand um it's amazing it folds up really small and now i can have my ergonomic setup at a cafe as well and i take the Uh, external keyboard so it was the last cut and it's not actually in the book because it's something i've only sorted out recently i was still and i think this is this this is kind of the big tip you have to it's like your physical health is like an onion and your mental health it's a bit like an onion um is you you go like what's the first thing that's hurting and for me like i ended up 
back in hospital, you know, with suspected spinal tumors, my back pain was so bad that, you know, they thought I was dying of it. And, and it's taken what, about six years now to get to where I am at this point, which is pretty much pain free back. Um, but all the things I've gone through have led me to this point, but you have to kind of peel things back. And a lot of people laugh about ergonomics. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's like one of those things you do if you're in a big corporate and they're just, you know, it seems like a just a thing you do. But if you're working from home, you do have to think about your ergonomics, the way your workspace is set up in order to make sure you don't screw things up. So that neck pain you get from um, having your chin near your chest because you're looking down at a laptop screen, that can stretch, you know, overstretch those, the muscles in the back of your neck, and then you end up with a tension headache. (laughs) So, you know, it can go from you know, from not not moving enough and really bad lower back pain, you know, just thinking about all the different things that all the different parts that make up your body and the repetitive movements we do in our daily life. Those are the things we need to kind of offset with some of these other um, tips and practices so that you can you don't have to think about it. You know, you don't think about your back if it doesn't hurt. But the only way to not make it hurt is by looking after it. And it's also quite fun to fight technology with technology, isn't it? I mean, you've got this stand. You've got, you know, we've both got new desks. There's um, speech recognition is one of the things I use. I mean, at one stage, I had such bad RSI in both my hands and wrists and arms. I couldn't type for six months. And when you're running an internet-based business, it's kind of inconvenient. Mm. And it really, it felt like getting my life back when I discovered Dragon, naturally speaking. This is about 10 years ago. But even that, since then, I've, I use it. If I'm writing prose, then that's my default. Am I allowed to use the word default? That's my considered uh, <laughs> means of writing. Because it, it just it's so freeing to be able to walk up and down the room and just dictate. So, you know, whatever the ache and pain is, I mean, there is the the healthy the diet and movement and exercise advice, but then maybe there's some kind of technological gadget that could help you, like, you know, the the next stand or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And I guess we should also circle back on the loneliness and isolation because that yeah. doesn't, you know, there are technological ways you can fix this too, but they generally involve using the internet to meet actual people. <laughs> so um, for example, when I started writing, I was working, um, I was implementing accounts payable into large corporates and I had this corporate job. I was a cubicle slave. I was, you know, working with, with te- technical people doing coding and things like that. And I didn't, know anyone who was a creative like all these creative people in fact uh, that's when I heard of you like I did one of your courses do you remember way before we ever met and became friends Um, but it's so funny because I would I would find these people on the internet and be sort of in awe of them and then what happened over time is I started my own podcast and met people that way I met people on Twitter and from there moving from a technological space um, being an introvert this was great you know using that to then meet people at um, conferences, conventions, on the podcast, and then having coffee, like physical, <laughs> actual coffee with real people in real life. And this this is a, a huge deal. And there's a lot of research into social isolation. Um, you know, some of it, uh, um, I think we have a, a quote in here somewhere, basically saying that loneliness can 
uh, can be as bad as something like smoking in terms of your life expectancy. I mean, wow. I can't quote the exact survey, but it is the the damaging. Oh no, it's here. Here we go. And this is from from the book. It is. It can be as bad as smoking a pack a day, and it's considerably worse than not exercising or being overweight. Um, so basically, you know, the this research on loneliness is you know it really is bad so if you're feeling if you're sitting there feeling that you're lonely then you really do have to deal with that um you, you know you have to get out there meet some people and what's so brilliant about the internet is that you can use it to find your communities and i totally get it if you're someone who's in a small place um maybe not loads of money you can't travel but that's why you can meet people in these virtual spaces um there are you know things you can do to create together within uh, i mean i'm in the writing community people kind of write in different time blocks together even though they're apart there are facebook groups and then of course if you do have a bit more of a budget you can go to events um uh one thing i would say is really good idea to go to the same event for multiple years. So I go to Thriller Fest um, in New uh -huh. York and, and I go every second year because I'm in Britain and it's quite expensive. But over the years I've been going since, well, about six years now, I've, you know, people now know who I am. So I don't have to force myself into the community. I already am in the community and people start, you know, you get to know people over time. Um, so those are some tips around um, loneliness and isolation. But essentially, you do have to make an effort to expand your um, social life in that way. Uh, I know it's difficult. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a really important thing. And I was slightly surprised to see it in the book. You've got a whole section on community, but actually it, it makes complete sense. And one thing it made me think about is, you know, choice of exercise. I mean, I started cycling when we moved out to Bristol and that's great. But then after a while, I was starting to lose my motivation a bit. And I thought, what's going on here? And I thought, well, Okay, you spend your time at your desk, you know, writing books or having intense one-on-ones with clients, and then you go out and do another long, lowly, intense pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> and so since realizing that, I've got my eye on joining a local martial arts group because I used to do Aikido. And one of the great things about doing martial arts or some kind of team sports is you're there with other people. You're rolling around and mucking about and you know, you encourage each other and actually you look forward to the social aspect as much as the the physical aspect. So I think if anybody's struggling for time and they're thinking, well, exercise and community or whatever, then you know, go and do some kind of team sport or group activity. Yeah, that is a really good point. And I found that with yoga, you know, I have found that you start to talk to people, you know, before and after classes. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've met people and started to have coffee with people. And then, um, you know, we've even been on a retreat where you, you know, actually like five days of yoga and <laughs> it all becomes yeah. quite buddy buddy then. So I really, I think that's great. The other thing you said there, which is brilliant, is you said mucking about. So you're mucking about mm. with someone, which if people don't understand that British term, <laughs> it means, you know, having fun. It means playing. And what's yes. so, and this is something that seriously, I'm 43 and I'm only just starting to learn about play. <laughs> but well, um, better the, late than never. Yeah, exactly. But this idea of play, doing something for no reason at all, other than that you enjoy it. It doesn't have to be towards your body of work, you know, your yeah. the thing you are creating in the world. And and seriously, for 
Over 40 years, I spent my time, everything I did had to be for a reason. And that's why I never really understood or never embraced exercise or physical health as anything more than something that would get me towards my next goal. Um, You know, being a sort of alpha (laughs) personality, um, but still an introvert, you know, everything was driving and, you know, people who uh, had fun. <laughs> I was like, why aren't you doing something useful for the world? Or, you know, why aren't you creating more things? And it's so interesting because part of my physical journey is really understanding this mucking about idea. Now you have kids, so you have to yeah. kind of muck about with your kids. I don't, you know, I'm happily child-free, but I think, you know, if, if you, whether you have kids or not, kind of this learning about play or maybe maybe not learning about it like stop reading books about play just go (laughs) go and do some play um and for me now I actually I've been doing handstands and headstands at yoga and I'm like wow I'm doing a handstand like that's Mm -hmm. actually really fun (laughs) and it's using my body in a way that I don't do normally and it's mucking about basically um and it's it's so interesting to realize that we lose touch with so much of this and as creatives you know we often say oh everybody's a creative but we get educated out of it I almost feel like that's the same with physical confidence as children we're just running around mucking about and then we go into these jobs and our bodies become very, you know, sedentary and we stop using our bodies and then we lose the fun of it. Uh, So it really is rediscovering fun and like making this less serious. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm also thinking I've got several clients who swear by dancing. You know, they go to dance classes. And And dancing is fun. Right. (laughs) It It doesn't have to be grinding it out, you know, on the coal, on the, the mountain face or down the gym. Yes. And that I think the dancing is, you know, I have dancing on my list as well, um, you know, very much. And I, I think this this list idea again, you know, if you're type A, you, you make lists for everything. Um, but this list of what activities, physical movement things have I enjoyed? Um, for example, I've been canyoning. Do you know canyoning? It's where you sort of clamber down rocks and, and jump through caves and uh, oh, just, that sounds fun. Oh, it's really super fun. And I did it when I was in New Zealand. And uh, it's it's just, it, it's like being an adventurer. Um, and obviously you're wearing a wetsuit and things and you get you get wet and you jump in things and you climb. And, and I'm like, I should do that again. You know, I should put things back on my list that I enjoyed or that I, I feel I'm, I feel physically alive as well as mentally alive. So that would be another tip for people you know, like you mentioned martial arts and you've enjoyed martial arts before. So it's not just exercise. It's because you know that you enjoy that your body enjoys it and your mind enjoys that. Yeah. And it's like the way you talk about yoga. I can tell you really love doing it. Now I've tried yoga on and off for for years and sometimes I would do it every day for, for several months, but in the end I just decided, look, it's just, there's just something about it doesn't really gel for me. Whereas what I'm going into more recently is kettlebells, and it just feels absolutely right. And I, I look forward to doing it. So I think there's something here about, you know, try a few different things and see what clicks for you. Because when you really get that enthusiasm for something, then you, you, you look for excuses to do it, not excuses not to do it. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I would also say that you need the right teacher. Um, so I think yoga is actually quite similar to martial arts in this way, in that uh -huh. I tried yoga for probably 20 years on and off. Like I was like, yeah. oh, I've got to go to, my back hurts. Everyone says yoga is good for your back. I've got to go to yoga or right. I've got to do meditation. I've got to sort it out. And I never, until we moved here and found a, a teacher who I really gelled with. And actually she's in the book as one of my acknowledgements um, because it, it finally gelled with me when I had a teacher who understood my body and you know I'm it's not like I'm massively obese or anything I've got a few extra pounds <laughs> you know like most of us but you know I'm I don't look like a yoga woman from Instagram <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna go straight into some perfect posture but what I found was a teacher who was who was happy and enjoyed and never judged and was very um, just natural and good at, at, at the way bodies work, all kinds of bodies. And I think this can this can be the the problem that people have. They think, oh, I can't do that because my body shape doesn't fit what is on Instagram. Like social media can be really damaging in this way, right? Yeah, <laughs> can be yeah. really bad. Yeah, maybe take a bit of time off from all of that if you're yes, or if you're or program. start finding other people. Um, there are lots of accounts also on Instagram that are people who look like real people. And that was that was what happened to me. It's like I found yoga for real people as opposed to right. yoga okay. for women who look like yogis. And it is it's really fascinating um, that we all we find these different things. And then we start learning how we can deal with them. The other thing about yoga, I'll just be completely honest. I spent the first month hating it. I was so angry. I was angry, angry. And my husband, Jonathan, <laughs> he said to me, I think maybe you shouldn't do yoga because it just makes you angry and unhappy. And uh -huh. it's so interesting because that first month or so, I think it might even have been three months, I was so angry with myself. I couldn't even like bend over properly. I couldn't sit cross-legged. I couldn't yeah. do anything. And everything seemed to hurt. But the point is that all of this stuff, like running, uh, Ewan, Dr. Ewan is a runner and he has several chapters about running in The Healthy Writer. And I'm not a runner, <laughs> you know, and I don't want to run right now. But it's so interesting the way we both talk about these different things. Uh, you know, some people discover running, whatever their body type, and absolutely love it. Um, so I guess, uh, like we're saying, what, what it's about choosing things, trying them, and then also maybe having a bit of patience in the same way that you or I would tell someone who gets on the internet and starts blogging and says, oh, nothing's happening, or I've started my business and nothing's right. happening. Yes, yes, you know, yes. You actually, or someone like uh, who comes to martial arts on day one and expects to look like, you know, some Ronin from a <laughs> movie. <laughs> you know, all of this is practice. And this is the other thing, yoga and writing or yoga and any kind of creative work and martial arts it all is practice so nothing is wasted when you're creating it's part of the process it's part of your practice it's part of your life journey so that would be another thing is to consider it on like this parallel path um the your physical practice that goes alongside your creative practice yes and maybe look back at some of the original manuscripts or canvases or images that you produced when you were first setting out and look at what you're doing now and it, you know a bit of day by day week by week incremental progress can take you a very long way mm, absolutely okay joe i mean obviously even before you wrote the book, I can see that you've been reflecting and learning and making discoveries in, in your own life. But I guess I'm, I'm curious, you, you know, 
what was the biggest surprise that came out of what you learned from writing the book, you know, doing the survey and working with Dr. Ewan? What, what discoveries did you make while you wrote this? Oh, goodness. I, I think this um, food and movement thing for me personally was the biggest shift in my life mm-hmm. that I did go from a very punishing view or even thinking, oh, you know, I must exercise in order to offset my calories. Like this is a not just a female thing, but definitely a lot of women have this. It's like, oh, I must, you know, offset my life calories by exercising, which is just such a damaging thing and again it's either punishment or it's to offset other things we put in our mouths (laughs) Mm -hmm. um i did i definitely had a sort of moment around sugar and i include in the book my letter to sugar um which is Mm -hmm. really realizing that as someone who considers herself to be independent strong woman that actually um i'm an addict and you know the level that i had gone with sugar really was um you know a sort of sanctuary for everything you know and it wasn't just when I was depressed like I I want sugar when I'm happy as well as when I'm sad and when I'm angry and when I'm like it's it's the thing it's how I've defaulted so the coming back to movement as pleasurable I had lost all sense of moving my body as pleasurable and pleasurable was eating some kind of sugar and I recognizing that I had this addiction to a substance and whatever that is and for some people the addiction and I think possibly you know is what we've talked about other people can be addicted to working (laughs) like workaholic yeah you know (laughs) exactly and I think this is the other thing we all know this there is an edge to everything there is the positive and there is the negative. I did six months with no sugar and now I happily eat some sugar, um, you know, but I, but at least I'm aware of it. This is this awareness yeah. that we have. It's like, yes, I would like a gin and tonic um, and I will enjoy this. And the, the, I think it, I've, for me personally, there, there has been this massive turnaround in physical enjoyment that is not related to food. <laughs> and maybe that sounds mad, but I actually think people listening some people will probably get this, you know, um, that this uh, this is a this is a different way of of living that balances out the physical movement with um, with the working. So, like you said about me and yoga, um, uh, I I got up this morning. I was at the cafe between seven and nine thirty. I wrote my you know eighteen hundred words on my next novel, and then I went to a yoga class. And so before 11 a.m. this morning, I had created something new in the world and I had moved in a happy way that made me feel good. And that is kind of how I'm now running my mornings. And I definitely just feel so much better for it um, in general. And I think so so often, circling back to what we said at the beginning about the positives of writing or the positives of creativity, I needed to write this book for myself. (laughs) And in the same way, right. it's helping other people. But so often we have to go through this stuff. We have to examine this stuff for ourselves so that we can help other people. And it's maybe an unexpected theme of this interview for me is hearing you talk about pleasure so much. And I'm <laughs> wondering because you know if... me well, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm wondering if, you know, the original question, why do we not associate being healthy with being creative? Well, maybe we think creative is pleasurable, but healthy doesn't really feel pleasurable. And yet the more you talk about it, the more you talk about the pleasure of movement, of 
creating, of socializing, of, uh, you know, feeling better overall in a different relationship with food, there's a lot more, sounds like there's a lot more pleasure coming into your life. It's not about taking it out. Yeah, exactly. And also, like we said about tuning into things, I mean, so much of our creative work is about tuning into the world. So, you know, if you're a photographer, you're looking around you waiting for that shot, or you're going to create that shot in some way. So you're looking, you're looking, and as writers, we have to notice detail. Um, You know, there are lots of things that we have to notice about the world around us. But this, this, this physical journey is, is actually about noticing your body. And yeah, yeah, it is a real shift. And I think, and remember this onion metaphor as well. And it, it's the same in mental health, right? I mean, being a psychotherapist, you know this. I mean, yeah. you deal with one thing and you find something else. <laughs> yes. And I mean, this is a work in progress for me as much as anything else. And like I said, the anger and the pain that I had at the beginning of yoga is completely different to how I'm feeling right now um, about it. And hopefully as time goes on, things will continue being different. So I think it's a surprise for me too, to discover this. Um, And I was also a bit angry, I think, about the discovery after writing this book that really there was no hack. I mean, we looked at the latest research into nootropics. Um, We looked at the microdosing that is going on in the um, Silicon Valley. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, oh, if we can just get some LSD, everything will be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And if people are- disappoint you folks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But there there is some really interesting research. And I do think the law will be changing around cannabis, around, um, you know, some of the nootropics, um, some of the hallucinogenic. Uh, there's some really interesting books out about that but that obviously where we are right now in the world this is not something that you can go around doing in a, in a safe manner and even if those things can become part of our lives they are they are extra whereas what we can do like right now it doesn't cost any money to sort out your sleep I mean it really doesn't you actually have to remove things from your bedroom yeah. like your phone <laughs> like your tv yeah. if you have a tv in your bedroom take it out uh you know no, no nobody has a television in their bedroom Joe. <laughs> you'd be surprised I mean things like look you know really paying attention to how and I think we just lose attention so paying attention to how your body feels after you eat something uh we're like oh I've got a tummy ache well, okay so why do you have a tummy ache is it because you ate like way too much or is it because you ate a certain thing that you might it might not agree with you so much and like paying attention to stuff without judgment this is the other thing that's changed for me it's it's the not judging myself so much, not going, oh, yeah. you're so bad. You had pizza and beer. That's really naughty. You must go to the uh, gym and lift a lot of weight. It's also kind of realizing that it's not about judgment so much. So if I have a pizza and beer, which is great, and I can say that was a celebration and I enjoyed it, like enjoying the moment instead of feeling guilty. And then the yeah. next day going, okay, so uh, not that I have to punish myself and now go to the gym and lift loads of weight, but I say, okay, uh, today's in a new day. I'm going to go walking. Or I'm going to go to yoga or go and lift weights because that's what I do to make my body feel good. So it's kind of separating the joy of movement and experience the world with all of our senses, you know, from that kind of punishment. So it's, it's making it part of our creative and physical journey together. Great. And I understand for our creative challenge, you have a little exercise that we can do to start doing that right this moment. Isn't that right, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, we've, we've talked a bit about it, but in terms of the challenge, I want uh, people listening. So scan your body right now, whatever you're doing, if you're driving or walking, whatever you're doing, scan your body 
where do you feel pain or tightness or stiffness or something that is not pleasurable in some way? Um, you know, and there will be something, I'm sure. And then what gives you the most trouble? So is it that lower back twinge? And what one thing can you do in the next week to help whatever that is, whether that is just moving more, whether, you know, maybe there's pain in your tummy, maybe thinking about what you were eating or, you know, what can you do to start paying more attention to your body? So that is the challenge. Thank you, Joe. That's a great start. And I think this is one of the interviews that will repay repeated listening. I think there's quite a lot in here about motivation to be healthy as well as being healthy. Um, and also, I would really encourage people to go and check out the book, The Healthy Writer by Joanna Penn and Dr. Ewan Lawson. Um, as we said, it applies to creatives of all shapes, colors, and stripes. And it really is packed with a lot of interesting facts and advice and conditions that maybe, like me, you'd forgotten about, <laughs> that you'd suffer from. So, Joe, apart from the book, where else should people go to, to get more of your wisdom? Sure. So thecreativepen.com, pen with a double N, you'll find uh, everything there, blog, podcast, all my books. Um, and I also have a podcast, The Creative Pen Podcast. So come along if you want to learn more about writing and publishing and book marketing, and I guess the successful author mindset. Yes. I mean, they kind of go together, don't they? This is the mind and body. Absolutely. Um, so, and also, uh, maybe I'll link in the show notes, if anybody didn't hear Joanna's interview with me about successful creative mindset from season one that one definitely you should have a listen to really went down very well with listeners and it's a really nice compliment to this one so joe thank you as always i've learned a lot from listening to you and i'm sure everyone else has too thanks so much for having me mark You have been listening to The 21st Century Creative, hosted by me, Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's show with more information about my guest and links to the sites we mentioned, as well as all the archived episodes at 21stcenturycreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, then I hope you'll subscribe in iTunes, and I'm always grateful for your reviews, and also for sharing the show with your friends and followers. If you'd like to have the 21st Century Creative Foundation course delivered to you for free, giving you 26 lessons of advice and worksheets on carving out an original creative career, you can sign up at 21stcenturycreative.fm slash free course. And if you are an experienced creative interested in getting my help as a private coaching client, you can learn about how I help my clients at 21stcenturycreative.fm slash coaching. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.